some who are hurting today and some who we don't know where they are but they know where they are and God knows where they are we're praying for them this morning uh, we're going to pray together worship God spend a little time reaching the heights in Jesus and then at the inspiration of moment time we have a couple of the young men who went to Camp Can this week and myself and RJ share a little testimony about what went on there so you can know a little more firsthand what that was like and uh, and we're just going to give all the glory to God I ask you to pray for my family this coming week as we travel Tuesday um, through next week, and it's, uh, it's the first away, away vacation that we've taken in a number of years now, so we're about to be able to do that, God arranged it, saved us for it, that kind of thing, so um, actually pray for us, and then uh, pray for some recent diagnoses, we'll get into the, the details of that, we've got a couple members in our church of recent diagnosis with health concerns, and they'll share with you what that is if they want to, um, but we just ask you to pray for them. Because we know that God is the ultimate healer. He can do amazing things and have. We've seen cancer miraculously healed before. Uh, we've seen all kinds of amazing things. And so we'll ask God to do his amazing work and trust him for it. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is your day. It's, it's a Sunday. It's an opportunity to gather together in this building that you have provided as a body, the church. And we are the church. We are grateful to be a part of the body. To each be a member. And our members that are missing, um, because they are far afield, because of traveling, because of converting, whatever, are greatly missed. We ache. Uh, and for those who are here today and aching, aching because somebody's missing, or aching because of circumstances that they happen to be in, Lord, um, we want to set those things aside. We want to trade them for the glory that you have, for the love that you have for us, for the peace that you instill in us. We want to give up our own worries, regrets, concerns, struggles, and instead, let you lead, let you heal, let you provide, 
but you empower us to do the things we have to do. And that right now, at least, is worship you and hear from your word. Spend a little time together. Spend a little time learning and growing. We pray for those who are absent. We praise you for what went on this week at Camp Can. And even uh, with my 24, 36 hours of recovery, and I know others probably went through the same thing, um, Lord, it was still well worth it. Everything that it could have been and more. Um, I mean, whatever the problems, whatever the stumblings, Lord, you were there and, and helped us through it all. Bless our time of worship, Lord, with your presence. We know you are everywhere that you want to be, and you want to be here, so we want to just tell you that we don't want to be in the way. We submit this to you, this time, this effort, our voices, the conditions of our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for taking our hearts of stone and giving us hearts of flesh to care about one another and others what they're going through and uh, to make a difference. We pray, Lord, that we'll do that now by worships and by sending this out over the Facebook and by putting it out on podcasts. And we pray for those all over the world in um, 11 countries that will listen to our podcast probably later, probably next week, this episode, next week, because I don't know that I'll get it edited before I go out of town, but um, Lord, we pray for them. That as they hear the message, as they hear the words, or sing the words, or both, that they will be touched by you, affected by you, drawn closer by you. We just want to be your agents. And we pray for just that today. Work through us, and in us, and on us. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> All right, I need children to the front. Zayden, come here. Everybody on your feet. We're gonna feet. do some fun stuff, but we have some Bible verses first. Come here, Zayden. I need you to read this. Oh no, no. All right. Do that. <coughs> really loud. You can be a child. Get up. <laughs> Therefore, you too have grieved now, but I will see you again, and you, your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are our glory and joy. You will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Those are all Bible verses about joy. So now we're going to do the joy song. If it's not up there. Go. Not ready. <laughs> All right, so what I need you to do is, everybody stand up and put your foot out like this. Make sure you're not kicking about this much my space. shoes off. Stand up. Come on. Don't get in my kitchen. You can do it. You can do it. You can. You can. I'll stand here on one foot and wait. 
Okay. All right. So if you go to the next slide, we're going to do this four times. The first time we're going to do it slow really? so you can learn the motions if you don't already know it. Okay? Ready? You should. I've got the joy down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart. Fell it. J-O-Y down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart. Where'd it come from? Jesus put it there. And nothing can destroy it, destroy it, destroy it. Huh. I've got the joy down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart. Okay, a little faster. I've got the joy down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart. Fell J-O-Y down in my heart. Deep, deep down in my heart, where'd it come from? Jesus put it there, and nothing can destroy it, destroy it, destroy it. Oh, I've got the joy down my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Esther, I've got the joy down my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Fell J-O-Y down my heart, deep, deep down in my heart, where'd it come from? Jesus put it there, and nothing can destroy it, destroy it, destroy it. Oh, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Okay. So, yes, 
Uh, we're talk briefly about Camp You Can, and our main focus obviously is on what God did. But I'm going to ask a few questions, and we have a few of the boys with us today, and we'll see if they can answer the questions. Okay, so first of all, name one speaker from Camp You Can. JC. JC. JC, okay. Tell me a little bit about JC, anything you know. Um, he comes from a very big, big um, blood life, and he used to move to a very bad company down in Mexico. Yeah, so JC went to jail for the first time when he was nine. Um, in fact, actually was working for the Colombian drug cartel and taking a contract to kill people by the time he was nine or ten years old. And spent most of his life in jail. And then fairly recently, actually, about, I think it was about five years ago, they gave his life to the Lord. And he was our camp pastor. 19? That's about four years ago. Yep. So he gave his life to the Lord. And he was our camp pastor for the week. So that's pretty cool. All right. Somebody else give me another speaker. Anybody else got one? Jason's got another one. Are you listening, Caleb? Because you had your hand up before, and I thought you were going to name the same person. Do you have another speaker? Okay, Caleb, go. Um, H. Good. Okay. Tell me about H. Good a little bit. Anything you remember? Tell me one of the things that he told us. Um, if you do, if you, if you do easy things, your life will be hard. If you do hard things, your life will be easy. Yeah, he said, if you do the easy things, your life will be hard. If you do the hard things, your life will be easy. And that really stuck with us. That resonated with us. You got another thing? Go ahead. He said, we must overcome haters. That's right. One of the things that we have to overcome, a number of things, one of the things we have to overcome is haters. People who hate us, people who hate God, haters. Jason? Uh, Doug Worthington. Okay, Doug Worthington. Tell me a little bit about Doug Worthington. He spoke about um, the Christian meaning of diet. Yeah, do you remember what it did said I for earn today? Yeah, that's very good. Okay. Did I earn today? So always, somebody later said in the morning, but he always, at the, get ready to go to bed, or at night, he asked himself, did I earn today? In other words, did I do the things today that I should have in light of who I am, in light of what God has already done? Did I do it right? Did I earn today? And mostly, not just about food, right, but about life in general. Discipline is doing things that we're supposed to do. Very good, very good. Okay, what's an M&M? Anyone remember an M&M? That's right, go ahead. Measure and... Measure and manage. Measure and manage. Can't manage what you can't measure. So you can't... Boys. Can't adjust or correct if you if you don't measure. If you don't check yourself or check what it is, check the, how big it is, how small it is, how fast it is, how long it is. If you don't check it, you can't change it. Right? So you cannot uh, cannot manage what you don't measure. Okay. So what was your what was your big thing? What was your big takeaway from the camp? What's the biggest thing that affected you or you thought about? Go ahead. What did you think was important? What do you remember the most? Don't say swimming, although that was very cool. What did you take away? Somebody, you tell us somebody about Camp You Can, what are you going to be sure and tell them about? It was surprising that I Yeah, that was neat, wasn't it? So they're talking about Lawrence Funderburk. Lawrence Funderburk uh, played in the NBA uh, for many years, but retired from the NBA. Um, and uh, 
he told some interesting stories about when he was in the NBA. Who was the basketball star that he he uh, dunked on one time? Shaq O'Neal, right? Was that Shaq? Yeah. So he said he dunked on Shaq one time, and he talked smack to was that Shaq one time, and he said he's what's it? I think I, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure last year he said it was a Yeah, it might have been. I'm not sure. But one, one professional basketball player who's like considered to be one of the best in the world, they talked smack to him one time and then learned, you don't talk smack to the really great players because that just makes you look like an idiot. So, which I think is probably a lesson you can take away. But anyway, so he, you're saying uh, this year what he did was instead of just coming and just talking, he kind of did it. He showed them. He did exercises and he had a bunch of, yeah, he brought other professional basketball stars and college coaches and stuff like that with them, right? Two others. One was from football. And they actually did activities like conditioning activities and, and passing and shooting and all kinds of stuff that they did. Um, instead of just talking, they got up and they did all kinds of cool activities. So that was really, yeah. It was hard too though, right? Some of those look like they were pretty hard. Um, okay. Uh, Jason, what was your takeaway? If you're going to tell somebody one thing for sure about camp, what would you say? Nice and loud. It's the fact that over 100 kids decided to come, and we had about over um, a quarter of kids, probably like a fourth of the kids there, give their life to Jesus. That's right. So we had about 110 kids between the ages of 9 and 15, and over over a quarter of them, I don't know the exact number, over a quarter of them made first time decisions. It was more than that. I know that. It was probably about 25, 30. But I also know that not every decision was tracked because they didn't have a, a way to like make sure that everybody got their name on a list or anything like that. Because the one, the one um, invitation, I did three. I had three myself, so nobody got my numbers from me. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then there were another uh, equal, roughly that many at least that recommitted their life to Christ. And there were a lot of boys who came forward for prayer about situations in their life, and um, it was it was pretty powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. So uh, for me, I just want to say I was blessed to be able to do it. Uh, it was exhausting because I got about four and a half hours broken sleep a night. Uh, by the time they would go to bed and get up, I think Caleb was definitely synthesized that Caleb had a rough cabin as far as getting sleep goes. Um, maybe they were all rough, I don't know, but. Um, only three kids who were calm. One of them was me, and one person above me, and one person above me. Yeah, so three kids in a cabin of 12 that were calm at night, and the others were talking until, until somebody made them shut up, basically. <laughs> yeah, we had to at least get a Torero, and what time do you want A what? Torero. Torero? Oh, really? Wow. And he said it was like 2 o'clock and we all fell asleep. Yeah, well I went in there the one night and they were all asleep by 1 o'clock, so um, had I known that it was like that every night, I would have gone there more often. But, but I, my room was actually really good, but they didn't go to bed until close to 1. They were supposed to get up at 7, Well, I had to get up plenty of time before them so I get my shower and organize and everything. I was getting up by 6. I'm going to bed at 1, get up at 6. One, one thirty, get out of shape, and a four and a half, five hour sleep. And then I would every time somebody would unzip their sleep bag, every time the door would open, every time somebody would step on the floor, every time the bed would creak, I would wake up because I was sleeping by the door and I had to make sure they weren't leaving the room. So I was waking up all night long. So I come home, I was pretty exhausted. Um, but I would say, that being said, it was well worth it. I, I did enjoy myself a great deal. I got the blessing of taking the hikers camping. 18 hikers went camping on the first day, and only six went on the second day. And both trails were awesome. 
And they'd say, we almost got lost. They kept saying, we're lost, we're lost. Like, you really cannot be lost. I knew exactly where it was at. I knew the direction to go. I'm like, you can't be lost. We may have lost the trail, which we did like three times, lose the trail. But we were never lost, okay? Uh, it was pretty cool. There was a point at which the trail ended here, and then about like 50 yards away, the trail started again, and there was a river in between. So we had to cross the river and look for the trail, and then got on the trail again. Yeah, we, so. we, we saw this one we sat in the road around the river, and I saw this one place. It looked like it was a waterfall, but the water was so still. Yeah. And it looked like it was a waterfall, but then it was just a reflection. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. All right, RJ, what would you like to say about the camp then? Uh, that actually was just it's a huge blessing. I mean, see, to see all these kids come in from different backgrounds, different families. And the coolest thing about it that I, I really enjoyed it's watching them all get to know each other, get to learn each other's story, yeah. and see how different backgrounds can come together and become best of friends. Yeah. And obviously, God was there. He showed up in great ways. Um, but I think one of the, for this year for me especially, was there was a lot in me that I was taught by some of these kids, and it. It's just, it's crazy to think that a little eight-year-old kid can teach you so much. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as far as it goes, I would say, yeah, definitely exhausting. Yeah. It was very exhausting. I w we ended up doing black football for the first time, and I got caught into playing quarterback, and it's exhausting. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was cool to see these kids come together and have fun, and most importantly, the understand that you know god is here he's with us he cares about us and it's it's cool to see that these young kids are given that opportunity to love who god really is yeah yeah the plan is to do a flight football tournament next year that's true so i need I'm so for that um, a couple things i would add uh and i agree in total agreement one if you like we ate three square meals a day and basically a buffet if you go back up and get as much as you want and one of the things that struck me was that many, many of the kids that were there, and I, this probably applies to even some of our own kids, did not normally get three square meals a day. Right? Grabbing a bowl of cereal, that's not a square meal, contrary to what some people might think. Um, so they had three square meals a day. And by the second day, I never heard so much flatulence coming out of 110 boys. <laughs> Everywhere you walk, you walk down the hall here, all over the place. Because they're eating real food for the first time in their lives, or first time in months or years, uh, and a lot of it. And then, um, so that was a factor. And then also, the decompressing from electronics. No phones, no tablets for the better part of four days. And like, starting on the second day, you could actually see people's eyes opening up. Like they were paying attention to what was going on around them. Um, and it's not, like, we have a lot. It's not like that a lot of times. It's a lot of, you know, I'm walking down the hallway, I'm looking at my phone, right? Or I'm, I'm just, I'm listening to you, but I'm actually, playing a game or you know whatever um, and that was that was powerful because they were alive they were doing stuff and I thought about that the Lord spoke to my heart how we can focus on something it doesn't have to be your phone or electronics it could be anything it could be your relationship it could be your job struggles it could be your health struggles we get focused on that and everything else dims and that's we're supposed to be like that because that focus then is supposed to be on Jesus, right? So we focus on Jesus and everything else dims. But when we focus on something else, 
then our relationship with God dims or becomes hard to see clearly. And so it was really cool that they were able to put that down, put it away, and live. You know, and then it was just a, it became about okay, what are we doing next? We're checking the schedule. What's going on next? What you know, what is he saying? What are they doing? And there were we had issues with kids falling asleep because again they weren't getting on sleep at night, um, and their bellies were full. So and then they would wake them up, have them do exercises, things like that, wake them up. Um, but I would just say, you know, it's a great opportunity. I would love to. We initially at the end of the year we thought we were going to have three or four more men come from New Heights, and we could definitely use it. Um, 20 leaders, counting teenagers, 22 actually counting the student mentors, is not enough to really interact with every boy. It really isn't. And to be able to bring the word and talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. Like, I couldn't even know it. I, I think I got maybe half their names at most. You know, and they were wearing name tags, so you didn't really have to have their name, but then you had to walk up to them, flip, hey, and flip over their name tag to find out what it was, you know, to be able to talk to them by their name. And Terrell was up the microphone, red shirt! Yellow jacket, you know, calling people by what they're wearing because he didn't know everybody's names. And so more, the more leaders, and they they wanted to plan in a rest period for the leaders, so some, each day you would get like an hour off, and there wasn't enough leaders to do that. There was maybe only ever one or two leaders that weren't busy doing stuff. So that would be huge. And then, and here's the great blessing, um, number one, 110 boys, number two, 18 boys from Toledo, up from 11 different neighborhoods, which is really cool. Uh, mind, mind you, that counts for Oxford. So, but uh, 11 different neighborhoods, that's really cool. And then um, next year, so this year they doubled from last year, less than 50 last year. This year we have 110. Next year they want to have, they would like to have 200. And the gymnasium will hold it. There is room for it. And the housing will hold it. And the grounds will hold it. And the pool will hold it. I mean, the pool's huge. So um, that, that would be really cool. So pray for that now. God just might do something awesome. Yes, sir. Yeah, two, two quick things. Okay. One, pretty fun. It's how all the kids were all tired during the day and at night they don't want to go to sleep. Yeah. And then another thing is, we had, they were talking about if they were having 200 kids, they might have to get another cat. Oh, yeah, they definitely would. Yeah. We were just, so about, about like 100. I I think about 130 is the most we could put in that building or something like that. Or like, um, there's 15. There's only four rooms not being used. There are four rooms not being used. So that's, um, that, that, so that's, there were eight in those four? Yeah. There's more than more than I in my room. Do you have eight beds in your room? I think there was eight total beds. There's, no, there should be more than that. And I have. Yeah, eight bunkers, so 16 kids. So that's room for 64. And then we had maybe like about eight or 10 beds empty. So we could get close to 200. And then after that, we'd have to be in two of those big buildings. So basically, it was all huge, big cabins. Like this hallway's got three cabins on it with eight bunk beds. This hallway's got three. This hallway's got three. And there were 10 showers on each side, plenty of bathrooms. Uh, and then they had a big common area in the middle. And that's where we all met in the morning for devotional. All right, RJ, would you pray for us then, and we'll worship God a little bit more, and just be sure to thank God. Yeah, I just want to add a prayer request for the coworker that passed away. He's been back in season, so he's been back in season. He's been back in season. He's been back in season. All right, we'll tie the offering there, and a couple songs, and then we'll work. Okay.
Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for the blessing that we had at camp. Uh, I pray that all the kids there that made the decision to follow you, Lord, that they met you sincerely and they continue to grow and learn. Um, God, I thank you for all the men there that helped out. Um, I pray for their well-being, their safety, their health, and all that. Um, pray for Anthony's family as they ever come to watch and loved ones. We all know how hard that can be. Um, losing a family member
just clean up the landline Better than a hallelujah sometimes We fall out of misery Not just tears and melody Before we begin, we're going to have a brief object lesson. So I need one volunteer. Anybody want to volunteer? Or I'll volunteer somebody. Going once, going twice. All right, come on. Okay. So I have a fan. This is no different than all the fans that the ladies use to keep themselves cool during the service. Okay. And so if I were, we're going to play a little game of hide and seek. And I said to you, I'd like you to hide that fan anywhere in the room, not on your person obviously, but anywhere else in the room, where someone might not find it if they were searching for it, where would you hide it? Anywhere in the room? Anywhere in the room. Probably in somebody else's purse or something, or like okay. under that stand, maybe inside the piano, okay. somewhere hidden. So if you went right now and hid it, we would all know where you hid it. And so probably we would be able to find it, most likely, right? So if you put it somewhere inaccessible, what if you like if we put it up on top of the door up there, then Jamie couldn't get it. <laughs> maybe Alicia couldn't get it. Maybe. But somebody would just push a chair over, right? What if you had a ladder? Does that change where you can hide the thing? Yeah. Okay. So then we could put it up high. Let's see. You could put it up in the heater vent up there, in the heater vent. Yep, frame the whole, the whole TV, and then it would also be out of view. Okay. All right. So, um, what if I take this away, and I ask you the same question about the bear? Would you hide the bear somewhere where no, where, they, no one can find it? Go ahead. Do it now. Hide the bear somewhere where no one can find it. What bear? What bear? Does anybody know where the bear is? Jason knows where the bear is. So does he? Do you know where the bear is, Jason? Where's the bear? I see the bear. Okay, how many people knew where the bear was? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, it's just your eyes. All right, you have to. Thank you. All right, so there is a thing. Uh, it's a kind of a literary quote called The Case of the Purloin Letter. It's a story, it's actually by Sherlock Holmes, uh, one of the investigators of Sherlock Holmes. No, sorry, by Edgar Allan Poe, one of the investigators that Edgar Allan Poe created that's like Sherlock Holmes. Um, and the case of purloin letter is they search for the letter all throughout the story, and then they eventually find it, guess where? In plain view, right? One of the places that things are often hidden that no one will find them is in plain view, 
Have you, have you ever seen anybody stick a let, like a piece of paper on somebody's back that says "kick me"? Well, don't do that. It's not nice. But have you ever seen that? Sure, you have, right? So it's in plain view, but it's behind you. So if you're not looking directly at it, you wouldn't see it. If you're sitting over here, like Josh, wouldn't have seen the bear because the piano's in the way and that kind of thing. All right. So it is possible to hide something in plain view and for it not to be found. Using a ladder, for example, you could set that thing up out of reach. So then it could be literally, there it is. But if you take the ladder away, they're going, oh, I can't, I see it. It's right there, but I can't get to it. Right. And that could happen. For example, uh, if you wanted to try to adjust the Wi-Fi extender up there, you would definitely need a ladder. Even standing on a chair would not be enough. Right. We can adjust that camera by standing on a chair, but that camera you can't reach by standing on a chair. That makes sense? All right, so I want you to bear those things in mind with me. The text for today is just four verses, and it continues in Deuteronomy 26, where we left off. So let's go to, thank you very much. Let's go to Deuteronomy 26. I'm there. Anybody else? Got your Bibles? Uh-oh. Well, you'll just have to listen real good, okay? But if you get too tired, you can stand up or do push-ups. <laughs> He's thinking, no, I don't want to do push-ups. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 16. Now, we read 16 last week, so this is a reminder, so you can see how it bridges over. It says, this day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. And that's where we stopped at last week. Then we start in 17. 17 says, the first declaration, here we go. You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his ordinances and listen to his voice. Okay, so there's a list of things here. They have declared that he is their God. I hope that we have declared that the Lord is our God. In some cases, that may not be so. And before we're done, we're going to see why it's so important. Okay, have you declared that the Lord is your God? And having declared that the Lord is your God, you would walk in his ways. Now, this word here in the Hebrew in the ways is very similar to a forest path. It's a, it's a direction that people have gone, and so the ground shows passage. We realize this is the path because the, the underbrush, the detritus, is worn away where people have walked before us. And so that's the word. It's talking about the way. Okay? So you would walk in his ways. The ways, not only that God walks, but the ways that people who are in relationship with God walk. And that you would keep his statutes. Does anybody know the difference between statutes, commandments, and ordinances? Because there's a list here. We're going to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances. So a statute is a prescription. Has anybody here ever had a medicine? It says take two pills one time a day, take one pill at bedtime, one pill at night. That's a prescription. These are not prescriptions for your medicine. These are prescriptions for the way that God would want you to live. So God's statutes are prescribed for situations. It might say, if this happens, then do that. When in this situation, do this, and so on. God's prescriptions, if you will, are his statutes. His commandments are pretty easy. That's God's directions. It's what he's commanded us to do. And before you say, well, I don't know the whole Bible, understand that people were following God's commandments before the Bible was ever written. Even some of the ones that we have clearly written in the Bible now, people were figuring out that they were the right thing to do and what God wanted them to do and doing them even before the Bible was written. And then there's his ordinances. Now, an ordinance, if you think of it, kind of look at the structure of the word, you realize it has something to do with orders or um, 
the process of ordination or ordaining something, making something true. And so his ordinances are like his judgments. So when a priest decides or the church decides or the word makes a judgment about a certain thing, that that thing is bad, right? That's an ordinance. So really what we're talking about are his prescriptions, his directions, and his judgments. And that we'll keep those things. That's what we've said. If we are his, the Lord is our God, then we will keep those things. And it says, and listen to his voice. And I submit to you that in their day, listen to his voice meant something different than what it does today. They did not have the written Bible, <clears throat> so they couldn't read it to get what God says. Okay, Moses, right now in speaking and writing this down, is writing down essentially the first five books of the Bible. And that's the first time they will have had that. Before that, it was all oral tradition. So to hear God's voice was to hear directly from God or to hear through a prophet. Right Now, you can hear directly from God. You can hear through the teaching of God's word. You can hear through God's word. And you can hear from the Holy Spirit in your heart, in your, in your person. Okay, So it's different for us. We have more access to God telling us what to do, more access to God's prescriptions, more access to God's directions, and more access to God's judgments than they did. Yet, they were supposed to follow these things. In making him their God, that was the, the first declaration. They declare that he is their God, and they will do these things. Now, the second declaration. The Lord has today declared you to be his people, a treasured possession, as he promised you, and that you should keep all his commandments. So his declaration is two-part. Okay? First of all, he says, you belong to me. You are my treasured possession. I claim you. And you will keep all of my commandments is part of his declaration. Okay? So is God ever wrong in his declarations? No. God's people, whom he claims for himself, would keep his commandments. Now, if you know a little bit of the history, what's coming for the Israelites, do they keep his commandments? They do not. They drift further away, then a judge rises up and brings them back, and then they're good for a while, and then they drift away again. And every time they drift away, they drift further away. So because God's declaration is two-part and they are connected, he declares them to be his people, a treasured possession, and he would keep, they would keep his commandments. Those two things are connected. So we always talk about the contradiction, like I am a Christian, I love the Lord, and because I love the Lord, I'm going to honor him with this choice. And you see somebody else says, well, I'm a Christian, I love the Lord, but I'm not going to honor him with this choice. That's a contradiction. So... You're saying something is true, and you're saying it's going to affect your actions, but then it's not going, it doesn't affect your actions. So you're not contradicting yourself. We make it out as if we're contradicting ourselves. I'm a follower of Jesus. I will do what Jesus wants me to do. Oh, there I did it again. I didn't do what Jesus wanted me to do. You didn't contradict you. You contradicted God. God is the one who says, this is my people, and they will do as I command them. And then you don't do as he commands you. So you're contradicting not the first declaration, which where you say, I will keep his statutes, his prescriptions. I will keep his ordinances, his judgments. I will keep his commandments, what he tells me to do. But the second one where he says, you will be my people and follow my commands. So when you contradict God, you become in opposition to him. Wrath sets in. You've picked a fight with the big guy. You're saying, you say this, but it's not true, and you're saying that to God. It'd be one thing if we say about ourselves, I am a certain thing, and then we don't show up to be that thing. Maybe we just failed. Maybe we just made a mistake. Maybe we just forgot, right? But when you say what God says is not true, that's another thing altogether. 
that's contradicting God, and you're opposing him, and therefore he is opposing you. Okay? And then uh, we go on to 19. And 19 shows us, kind of shows us the, the setup, if you will, one, one aspect of it. 19 says, And that he shall set you high above all nations which he has made for praise, fame, and honor, and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. So again, this is something that God has said he will do, and now it says he will do it. So as if we took the ladder and put the bear up high, and then we'll put the ladder away and nobody can touch it, God would set up his people. For what purpose? For this purpose. Praise, fame, and honor. And so when you stand up for the Lord and do what the Lord would have you to do, taking based on the first two declarations, God will set you up for praise. That means he recognizes how good you are and you recognize how good he is. There's praise flowing both directions. Others will praise you and then you can redirect that praise toward him, which is the hope. Fame, you will be recognized. This word here in the Hebrew means to be held in high esteem by anybody who knows you. So now you ask yourself, as I live for the Lord, as I function as a person of integrity, are my family and friends able to esteem me well? Do they look at me and go, okay, yeah, he's stepping up. She's stepping up. She's doing what she's supposed to do. Now, it doesn't mean that they see God in you because a lot of people in the world think that other people in the world do well too. They do right things. But if they look at you and they see, yeah, man, she's got character. She's really stepping up. I esteem her well. Then you can say, pay attention to the Lord. This is not about me. I don't do this because of who I am. I do it because of who God is. So God sets you up then for praise, for fame, and then for honor. Now we know it's ultimate honor and that we'll be in heaven one day for eternity, but it's also honor on, on earth, right? When the father runs down off the porch and throws himself on the returning prodigal son, kisses him on the neck and says, oh, my son who was dead but now is alive, and he says, kill the fatted calf. And he puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his back and shoes on his feet. He is honoring him in every possible way, provision, power, purpose, protection. He's honoring him in every possible way. And God will honor you, and he sets you up for that. You don't do that. See, it's, he shall set you high above all nations, which he has made for praise, fame, and honor. That's the setup that we want. Okay, so in this text, in these verses, which we've already read, we've seen uh, that as a people of God, and having declared ourselves as a people of God, we are to follow his commandments, his ordinances, his statutes, and his ways, and to listen to his voice. And that God then declared us as his people, a treasured possession. He promised us that we would keep his commandments. And then we see that in light of that two declarations, he will set us up. But we have a problem, don't we? You with me, Jace? Stand firm. All right, we have a problem. So first of all, let's talk about the first declaration. So when I was not a Christian, 25 years old, I was searching, questioning, skeptical. Um, I wasn't talking much to anybody about it, but I was reading. I was searching the Internet, what, such as it was at that time. It wasn't as good as it is now, but it was there. I was looking, uh, trying to figure out what was wrong with this Christianity thing. What was it that I was seeing in these people, because they were clearly different, but also they were sort of the same as the world. You know, they're kind of like 
There was problems, so they weren't quite right, but at the same time, they, they were proclaiming God and they were better than most. And I was trying to figure it out. And the pastor would preach and he said, Jesus died on the cross. And I said, well, what if Jesus didn't die on the cross? They saw him again later, three days later, and so I'm alive and thought he died on the cross, but what if he didn't really die? And so I researched it and I tried to figure out how do they know that he was dead? And there is factual evidence and proof that we know that he was dead. There were witnesses by the hundreds who were there, saw the Roman centurion run a spear into his heart. People do not survive having a spear run into their heart, right? You can't just give them a drug and they fall asleep like they do in some like sci-fi novels and stuff and wake up a few days later. He got a spear run in his heart, right? And that Roman centurion would have sacrificed his life if Jesus didn't die. They were experts in knowing when someone was dead, and it goes on and on. So Jesus really died. But it took me questioning it to get to that. And I know that there are people, young Christians and non-Christians, who question all that. I was like that. I was not ready to make a declaration because I didn't, I didn't think there was anything to make a declaration to. But then once I got to a point where I, I understood that what they were saying was true, I realized it, it demands a declaration. What are you going to do about it? Take it plain for a moment and just say this. You realize that if you eat too many sweets, repeat, repeatedly continue to eat too many sweets, your body will grow in size in ways that are not helpful to you. And ultimately, your heart will struggle in your chest. Your lungs will struggle to function. Your liver will struggle, struggle to process. Your kidneys will struggle to process. And if you continue that for decades, you will die. So what are you going to do about it? Well, see, so I'm going to eat sweets in moderation so the sweets don't kill me, right? If you drive your car down the road, 100 mile an hour on the expressway, and then crawl in the back seat so no one's driving the car, you will have maybe a minute or two to live at most, however long it takes for that car to impact, and then you'll be dead. So what are you going to do about it? Well, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm going to drive my car, and I'm not going to drive at 100 mile an hour on the expressway unless I absolutely have to for an emergency situation. I mean, if I do, I'm going to pay very close attention and make sure I'm not going to leave the wheel, right? So... When something is detrimental to you or something is extremely beneficial to you, Jason, you decide, Jason, to do that thing, right? So when the preaching of God is beneficial to you, this is beneficial to you, so you have to discipline yourself. You have to try hard to, to get it. You have to go, oh, this is for me. I, I want to understand it. What is he talking about? It's a natural. If you believe, you will take the steps according to what you believe. But what we have in the world is a people, a lot of people, is a lot of people. <laughs> He's with you. He's on your side. All right. So there's a lot of people that will say they believe something and it completely doesn't affect what they believe. It doesn't affect them at all. Right? For example, most people will say that, say that telling the truth is the right thing to do. But most lost people would lie under the right circumstances. In fact, I've had this conversation a number of times with people. If they put a gun to my head and they told me I have to renounce Jesus in order to survive, I'm just going to lie because grace covers it anyway. right? And a lot of Christians think, well, I'll, if I get in that case, I'll just lie. I'll tell them whatever they want to hear not to take my life because Jesus is going to take care of it anyway. And yet, that's not the declaration. That's not what the Word calls us to. If you believe in Jesus and you believe that you will have life after death, then you would be willing in that moment, and I believe that Jesus would give you the courage to stand up and potentially die, right? And in dying, be ushered into eternal life. Do you believe? 
And if you believe, there comes a declaration. And in a moment, we'll talk about what happens if either A, you believe and the declaration never comes, or B, the declaration happens and then afterwards you act like you don't believe. In the world, we are much of the world is at the crux of the first declaration. Do you believe? That's the question. And once you believe and declare that you believe, it opens a channel of faith to God, and according to Scripture, by grace are you saved. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make the second declaration true. You can say the first declaration and mean it and make it true to the best of your ability. And that's where we're sitting at for most people in the world. The second declaration is also problematic because it is God's declaration, as I said, and it occurs to me that many Christians contradict God. God says, He declares us to be His people. And we say, yes, I am God's people. I want to be God's people. I want to go to heaven. I want to live for the Lord. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to confess my sins, be cleansed of all unrighteousness, like 1 John 1, 9 says. Yes, I want to be God's treasured possession. I want to be the sheep that wandered in the wilderness for a while and God left the 99 in the field and came and found me and brought me in. Jason, don't you want to be saved? Don't you want to be God's treasured possession? I want that, but there's no way to bring God to the point of doing that. I can't force it. I can't talk him into it. I can't bribe him. I can't lie to him. He sees the darkness that's in my heart. He sees the things that I do. There's nothing that I can do to cause that to happen. It's two separate declarations. Do you understand that you can say, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I will live for him. I will follow his prescriptions. I will follow his commands. I will walk in his ways and do the things that God wants me to do. And yet, not be saved. So no, wait a minute. That's everything that a person needs to do to be saved. I believe in God. I'm living the way God wants me to live. Walking in his ways, right? Unless you walk in one particular way, you will not be saved. And what is that one particular way? Jason, what's that one particular way that a person has to walk in in order to be saved? Anybody? Close. What it? Narrow in scope, right? What's that one particular way that people have to walk in in order to be saved? Don't make it harder than it is. It's a Sunday school answer. Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only one trail leads where you want to go. And it is through Jesus. So you can say, I believe in God. And I will follow His prescriptions for my life. And I will follow His statutes. And I will follow His commands. And I will follow His ways. And yet, if you do not follow that one particular way, you cannot be saved. Do you think that every Jewish person, devout or otherwise, is on the face of the planet is going to go to heaven someday? That's not what the Bible says. And even being in this room, being in the right place at the right time to hear the teaching, the preaching, being preaching yourself, I could be standing up here trained to break down the Word and preach it to you. Man, he's so good. His points are clear. I can understand him. His illustrations are awesome. It, makes, it brings it home, whatever. And bless you. And I could go to hell when I die. You must come through Jesus. That is the only way. And that right there where it says, 
I will follow his ways includes clearly Jesus. So the declaration of God is contingent not on your personal declaration, but on your willingness to follow God's ways in particular one way, which is Jesus. And so is it not possible, don't you think it's possible, that we have a whole bunch of people in the world who are declaring themselves, declaration number one, I believe in God and I'm doing what God wants me to do, just follow me. I very recently heard a man say, God told me to say this. God is speaking to me, he told me to say this. And then he said it, and I was like, God may have told you to say that, but he didn't tell you to say it that way. There is no way. That's just not how God works. And yet, he was adamant, and people believed him, that God was telling him to say it, and apparently to say it that way. Your declaration one will only precipitate God's declaration too if it's done in Jesus. Then we come to the setup. Here's the thing. You've got to choose. There are essentially three setups that came to mind as I was uh, preparing this sermon. The first one is the best one. It's where we are saved in Jesus Christ and set up and taken care of. And you can read about it in a whole bunch of places in the Bible, but I'm going to read about it today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you can go there and read it in your Bibles if you want. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. After we look at these setups, we're on the conclusion already. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. It says, According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation... And another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is, there it is, Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each, man, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. But the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So, that, so then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos, Apollos or Cephas of the world, or life or death, or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. That's the setup that you want. The foundation is Jesus Christ, and the goal then is to live building on that foundation. I was reading in the suburban press yesterday, and it had all these dates about when things were started, and it talked about when the cornerstone was first set for Waite High School, to build Waite High School. And the, the date and the year when it was first set. And where that cornerstone was set, everything else in that building was going to line up with that cornerstone. Jesus is our foundation. 
And you have to ask yourself, and it's hard, I get this, okay? Because there are a lot of good things in the world and all these things are given to us to enjoy. But here's the deal, Curtis, give you an example. Whatever you watch, whatever you play, etc., if you're believing in God and trusting in the Lord for what comes after, has to line up with that initial cornerstone. And it's hard to do that yourself, isn't it? Easier if you know the prescriptions. So something comes along. Oh, wait, this is in the prescriptions. I know what to do if this happens. RJ, what do you do if you get a headache? Okay, starts by drinking water. Take medicine? Okay, starts by drinking water, takes medicine. Next week, if RJ gets a headache, he's going to start by hydrating, and if that doesn't work, he's going to take medicine for it so he can get past his headache. Because he has the prescription. Right? So what do you do to make sure that all the things of this life that you choose to do line up with the cornerstone, the foundation that God has laid in Jesus Christ? You ask yourself, what is God's prescription? So what is God's prescription with regard to media? Focus on the pure. What is, what is God's prescription with regards to telling the truth? Always tell the truth. Let all deceit and lies of any kind pass away from you. And it goes on, right? Those are prescriptions. They're also commands, but they're prescriptions for a certain case. So we learn the prescriptions, the, the ordinances, what God's judgment, right? So what happens if I, if I do get to that point where God puts a gun to my head and he's going to pull the trigger if I don't renounce Jesus and I renounce Jesus, what might happen? You know that the Bible talks about that? It says exactly, there's an ordinance, a ruling of God for what to do. I'll show it to you in the conclusion. Bottom line is, setup number one, the one that we want, is this setup. It's where Jesus is our foundation, and everything else in our life must come in line or actually not be part of this building that God is building. And we say, I can't have that. It's not in me because it's not doesn't line up with the foundation. The problem is, there are at least two other setups that people choose from. The first one you can see clearly in Isaiah chapter 1. So if you're following along in your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 1. He's one of the bigger prophets in the, in the back of the Old Testament, so you can kind of thumb through and find Isaiah, no problem. Isaiah chapter 1. and it's, I'm just going to read 27 through 31, but understand that Isaiah was recognizing that amongst God's people, there were those who were making their declaration, and God was making a declaration about them, which is a two-part declaration. It says, they will be my people, and also they will follow my commands, but they were breaking the second half and calling God a liar. Okay, They were in opposition to God. That's the day in which he lived. And then he wrote this, Zion will be redeemed with justice, and her repentant ones, that means the people of them that turn back to God, will be redeemed with righteousness. But transgressors, those who cross the line, and sinners, those who live not in a way that God would want them to, will be crushed together. And those who forsake the Lord, in other words, if they put him off, shall come to an end. Surely you will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired. They went after oaks for them would be like TV or sweets or, or nice houses or nice cars for us, right? Surely you will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired. And you will be embarrassed at the gardens which you have chosen. For you will be like an oak whose leaf fades away, or as a garden that has no water. And the strong man will become tender, his work also a spark. Get this. we got some strong people in the room. RJ's strong. Josh is strong. Jason's strong. Tommy's strong. Aaron's strong. Right? we got a lot of strong people in this room. I think Curtis is pretty strong. I've never put him fully to the test, but I think he's pretty strong. 
I'm getting stronger, right? We have some strong people. This says that a strong man will become tender. If you do it in your own strength, you know what tender is, right? Tender is the stuff you use to, fire, to, to start a fire. It's the little bits of stuff that burns real easy. So we strong men will become tender if we don't do it God's way. And then it says, his work also a spark. So we're the tender, and what we do then in our strength becomes the spark. And with a tender and a spark, you've got a fire. Okay. Thus they shall both burn together. The man and his work, catch that, will burn together. And there will be none to quench them. Isaiah is saying that there is another way. Well, what is the way? What is the setup here? The setup is, it's a people that declare, I believe in God, I will follow the statutes, the commands, the ordinances, and the ways. But then when it comes down to it, they're not doing it. They transgress or they are in sin. Their work becomes tender. Or they, I'm sorry, their strength becomes tender and their work becomes a spark and now they're burning. And they are sad and embarrassed at that which they pursued. And the day that they realize what they've done, they will be sad and embarrassed at the thing that they thought was great, that they were so, I really want a better job. I really want more pay. Listen, you get all the better jobs and all the more pay and all the better house and all the better health and you can be healed and you can live to be 120. And by the time your 121st birthday comes, you're going to be embarrassed about all the things you pursued unless you build your life in Jesus Christ and live for an eternity with God. We think, oh, life is so long. 120 years God will tarry with a man. That seems like such a long time. So if I eat right, exercise, drink all the right water, sleep right, do all those things, manage my money right, if I do honor my parents, if I do all those things, I might live to be 120 years old. And on my 121st birthday, I will rue everything I ever did that wasn't building my life on Jesus Christ. If I do it as somebody who builds with perishable materials, and I truly am saved, but I'm hit or miss, hit or miss all the time, then I'll still burn with the stuff, but ultimately I'll still make it in. right? So I'll be burned, I'll be smoking as the... the the things that I treasure, the things that I desired are burnt off of me, but I'll still go into heaven because I truly am a follower of Jesus. But if I am not truly a follower through Jesus and following the Lord, then I won't go in at all and I will rue all the things that I thought were awesome in this life, all the things that I wanted, right? So that's the setup. I suggest to you that who's setting that up, Right? So if God is setting it up, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 23, if God is setting it up like that, the foundation is Jesus Christ and we're going to build on the foundation, who's setting this one up? The Isaiah 1 setup. That's humans. That's people. It's self. They look after the oaks that they want. They look after the gardens that they want. Choked out by the cares and riches of this world. Maybe they never become saved because they're too busy with the things of this life or they become saved and they struggle too much with the things of this life. And if they are saved and struggle with the things of this life, then when they stand before Jesus, he'll burn that stuff off so they can enter in for an eternity. But if they are never saved, they'll burn with it for an eternity. It's not my word, it's his word. And people are setting themselves up by pursuing the good things of this life that are entertaining, that taste good, that are enjoyable, right? All right, we've got one more, last one, and then we go to the conclusion. So this one is found very clearly in several places, but we'll read about it in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And the blessings of this is we get it straight from the mouth of Jesus. 
as he's talking in John chapter 8. Okay? John 8, and I'll read beginning in 39. John chapter 8, beginning in 39. Jesus is speaking. I speak the things which I have seen, this is 38, I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. By the way, what were the deeds of Abraham? Anybody know? Yep, that's what he would do. That's what would, and really would be done through him. So the main deed of Abraham was faith. God saw his faith. That's when he was willing to sacrifice his son. He saw his faith and said, and counted it to him for righteousness. So he built his foundation in faith in the way that God was going to make that he didn't even know it was Jesus yet, but he trusted the foundation, which was God. But it also says that he walked upright before the Lord. In that faith, he, he, it says he followed all the commands of the Lord. Right? And so what they should be doing is following the commands and the ways and the statutes and the ordinances of God. But Jesus says that's not what they're doing. They're following something they heard from their father. I submit to you, they have another father. Someone else is setting them up. You follow? They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to, be, want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. And we'll stop there. The bottom line is, there is a third setup, and it's a setup by whom? Or by who? Who's setting up the third setup? Say it again. Satan. Right? So there are three setups you can pick and choose from. And one of them is God's setup. And one of them is Satan's setup. And one of them is a setup of people or the world. Okay? So anybody who hasn't been saved is, is probably going to choose, start, they're going to start with the setup of the world. Right? But then when they know there is a contradiction or a conflict between God and Satan, they may choose Satan. They may choose God. And if you choose the setup of the world and don't choose God or Satan, you've actually chosen eternal death over eternal life. There's only one way to get eternal life, so it's through Jesus. We covered that. All right? So that brings us to the conclusion. I just want to recap for one second. There are two declarations. There is one declaration that says you must... I, I am a follower of God. I believe in the Lord. I will live for the Lord, follow his statutes, his ordinances, his commands, and his ways. And ultimately, that will lead you to following the way, which is Jesus Christ. And then your life is built on that, and you come into eternity with God. Right? That's the one you want. But there is also a declaration that is of the world. 
The world wants the trees. The world wants the garden. The world wants a job. The world wants a paycheck. The world wants a relationship. The world wants a better house. The world wants more help. The world is waiting for its ship to come in and so busy focused on the docks that it's missing the declaration that would set it up for eternity, which is in God. And then there is a third declaration, which is a very persuasive declaration. Remember, these are Jewish people. He was talking to men who fast two days a week, memorize whole books of the Bible, baptize people, teach about God, right? That's who he was talking to. And he said to them that Satan was their father. You follow? It's a very persuasive, very tricky, right in the middle of your life, setup that you do not want. So choose, I would say, simply put, you want to choose the setup of God, which brings us to the conclusions, sorting the setups. In your life, you're going to have to make a decision. I liken it to this. There are two men who live side by side. And one guy kept letting his dog run on the other guy's property and pooping on his grass, chasing his cat. And so finally, the guy whose cat was getting chased and his property was getting pooped on said, I'm going to build a fence. I'm going to put up a privacy fence, and that will keep his dog. He called the dog warden, but every time he called, by the time the dog warden comes, the dog's already back where it belongs. Poop there, he can't write a ticket for poop. Who knows how that got there or when. So he said, well, I'm going to build a fence between my property and his property. So he goes out and he buys the lumber, gets a post hole digger and some cement, he goes every eight feet, put the hole in the ground, put the post in the ground, puts the cement around it, and you know, the water soaks into the cement and becomes solid as a rock. It goes all the way down, all the way down, turns the corner all the way down, turns the corner again, all the way back up to his house, and his whole backyard is fenced in. But the guy with the dog says, Hey, we had a problem. What are you talking about? We got a problem. He said, You built that fence on my property. I know you built it to keep out my dog, and we've had some trouble with that, but the bottom line is, that line of fence that's between my property and your property, that line of fence, it's on my property. So now, it belongs to me, because you built it on my property. And the court sides with the person who says, you built a fence on their property, and it's their fence. And he says, and by the way, I don't want a fence. If I wanted a fence, I'd have put a fence up. So I'm going to take the fence down. The guy's like, ugh! Takes, the guy takes the fence down. A few days later, his dog's chasing his cat again. Poop's appearing in his backyard again. So you know what he does? He goes out. He buys cement. He's already got a post hole digger. He buys some posts. And he buys a fence. And he puts the fence up. Guess where? On his own property. And now the fence cannot be taken down. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. If you're following along. Revelation 21. And I'm going to read in, beginning in verse 6. This is a vision, if you will, of the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. And, and God is taking care of all of it. It says in verse 6, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life 
without cost. So God says, I will give to the one who thirsts. Once you recognize you have a need. Jason, have you recognized you have a need? Alicia, have you recognized you have a need? Curtis, have you recognized you have a need? He says, if you recognize you have a need and you look to me, I will give from the spring of the water of life without cost. It's already paid for. It's free. Remember, your declaration is good. There are going to be a lot of people in the world who have said, I'm living for God and get there and they don't get to go to heaven because they didn't do it through Jesus. Jesus himself said, Matthew 7, there will be many who say unto me, Lord, Lord, but do not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, while he was preaching on the earth, okay, it's free. You just have to recognize that you have a thirst, that you have a need, and go to God for it. And he says, I will give of the water of life without cost. Continuing in verse 7, he says, Then he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So God will let you drink of the water of life. It's free. And then you just have to overcome. So the foundation is laid. Get it? Jesus is the foundation. The foundation is laid. And now you build throughout the struggles of your life, throughout the difficulty, etc., etc. You build on that foundation. And the one who overcomes. So in other words, right now, all you got to do, this is all you got to do. And people say this all the time. And I think people then say they do it, but they don't really do it in many cases. You just have to say to God, okay, God, I recognize I have a thirst. There is something in me. One of the guys at Camp You Can said, I tried it all. In fact, it was JC. He said, I tried it all. He said, I did drugs, a party scene. I had people cheering me, shouts and praises and music, bar scene. He said, at one point in time, I had a million dollars in cash in my closet. And he wasn't being figurative. He's literal. He literally had a million dollars of cash stacked in his closet. And he said, and I realized I was empty. I needed something. And whatever it was, everything that I had tried. And he had taken everything from anybody in his life. He said he was so big and so bad and so strong and so scary that anything he asked for, people gave it to him. He could take anything he wanted. No girl turned him down. Somebody got a hundred bucks in their pocket he asked for, they gave it to him. Because if he wanted, he could just take it. He killed so many people, beat so many people. No one would turn him down. He could have anything he wanted, any time he wanted. And he realized he couldn't have the one thing he needed. He recognized a thirst in himself. Once you've recognized that thirst in yourself, God is willing to give you the water of life without cost. And then he expects you to overcome in this life, to stick with him, to stand by his commands, his statutes, his ordinances, and his ways, and do it God's way. And if you do that, you shall then inherit all things, and you will be a child to God forever. But listen, verse 8, and this is scary. But for the cowardly, do you know what a coward is? A coward is a person who doesn't act in courage to do the right thing. They're the kind of person who will say something bad about you, but not to your face. They're the kind of person who will say, I believe in Jesus and I'm living for him no matter what. But when a gun is to their head, they'll renounce his name. He says, but for the cowardly and unbelieving 
Unbelieving is the kind of people who do not trust God. They do not believe God. They do not believe God can do what God says He's going to do. And for the abominable, for the murderers and the immoral persons and sorcerers, sorcerers are the kind of people who think that if they say the right thing, God will do what they want Him to do. Or they can twist somebody else to get them to do what they want if they just do the right thing in this life. Idolaters, that's someone who worships anything else If there is anything that comes remotely close to the value of God in your life, it's not that you can say, well, I can't have other gods before him like greater than him. It's you can't have any other gods in his presence. Right? So if you're busy looking for a way to be entertained when you ought to be looking for a way to be grown in the Lord, you've got to ask yourself, are you an idolater? And it says, but for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice that verse 8 starts with a but. The drink is given freely for those who recognize the thirst. And those who recognize the thirst and receive the drink that overcome shall inherit these things and become a child of God for eternity. But for the cowardly, whether or not they are given the drink, the cowardly, the unbelievable, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars, their part will be in the lake of fire. God wants to set you up. By His grace, He is willing to give you a drink from the spring of life which He paid for with His very own blood through His Son, Jesus Christ. By His grace, as a free gift, you cannot earn it. It's not about what you say. A lot of times we want people to say, yeah, I believe. And you should. That's your part. That's your declaration. But somebody saying, yeah, I believe, when they don't, is worse than somebody who doesn't say, yeah, I believe. Either way, they still wind up in hell unless they at some point truly do believe. But it's worse to say, I believe, when you don't because then you paint a picture that God is a liar. Paint a picture that God's declaration is false. And God's declaration is not false. And it says, we were once objects of wrath, Ephesians 2. But by grace you have been saved. Through faith, through believing. You let Jesus' death stand for you. He became your Lord and now you walk in His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances and His ways and follow His voice. And you overcome and you get eternity in heaven with God. And it's amazing. In fact, a little earlier in that chapter is a brief description. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Eternity with God is the exact thing. But I ask you, when you're choosing your setups, let's say if you were the enemy and you wanted to have a good chance that somebody would choose either Satan's setup or man's setup and not choose God's setup, what would you do? How would you hide it? Where would you put it? Would you put it up high where somebody couldn't reach it? Well, that doesn't work because God can easily make somebody be able to reach it by providing a ladder, by providing a boost, 
whatever. And all you have to do is see it and know that you need it. Thirst for it a little bit and God will give it readily, freely. So what would you do? If you were Satan and you were trying to hide this setup of God, what would you do? I submit to you, just put it in plain view. Put it right there. So simple, so easy, not confusing. And then distract people from looking at it. Distract them with oak trees and gardens, sports cars, and cute girls and cute guys, drugs, and whatever else you can. For that thing that is right there in front of them that God has made open and evident to everyone will not be chosen by those who think they want something else. We got back from Camp Ucan, and I was a little, uh, a little put out for uh, a few minutes because, for one, one of the boys left with their parents before I knew it. And I didn't say see their parents or, or say anything, and I'm like, "Holy cow, where is he? You know, I'm like, where is he?" And uh, no one in, that was still there could remember seeing him after the rest area. And so for a hot minute, I thought, "Oh no, did we leave him at the rest area?" And then I called RJ and I said, did you see him back at the building? I was like, no, I didn't see him. And the, but Jason was in the car with RJ and Jason said, oh yeah, he rode with me from the rest area back to the church building. And so then we knew everything was fine. Well, at the same time, and that's how easy it is, he was right there in plain view, but I didn't see him. And so I began to wonder. But at the same time, there was another boy who couldn't find his bag in the car. His bag. He's looking for his bag. He looked at the entire van for his bag and he couldn't find it. And his brother began to look for his bag. And now everybody's looking for the bag. We're all looking through the van. Nobody's got the bag. So I told RJ on the phone, I said, RJ, I'm pretty sure you took the bag because you took the other vehicle with the rest of the bags. And he said, no, I made sure I only had the bags of the people that are with me. He said, I don't have anybody else's bags. And I said, well, they're all looking at the van. We're all looking at the van. I don't see it. They don't see it. And he kept saying, it's my blue bag. It's my blue bag. It's my blue bag. Or he thought it was a gray bag, but it was blue. He kept saying, it's my gray bag, it's my gray bag. Finally, they found the bag, and it wasn't gray. His bag that he used all week long at Camp Ucan, that he packed, that he carried, his bag, he thought it was gray, and it was blue. And somebody else, which happened to be his brother, had to say, listen, that's not gray. That's blue, and it's been blue all week long, and that's your bag. And he looked at it, like, ah, that's my bag. Yep, that's right, it is blue. Where are you going to hide the setup that God has? You hide it in plain view. Tell people it looks a little different. Somebody in this room is going, but I'm not sure because I want this, this, and this. Somebody brought into a prosperity gospel. Listen, you can follow Jesus and you may suffer. You could follow Jesus and you could get, probably not in our day, but it could happen, especially if you became a missionary in a foreign country, you could get burned at the stake or crucified or get your fingernails pulled out. In the last week, somebody in the Arab community across the world has had their fingernails pulled out because that's the common treatment that they use on them to get them to tell them who told them about Jesus. That's what they do. They keep them awake all night long, deprive them, waterboard them, and pull their fingernails out until they tell them who told them about Jesus. And most of the time they don't because they know they're going to die anyway. So what good does it do? They just suffer until they're dead and then spend eternity in heaven with God. 
So it isn't always going to be peaches and cream. He said, I'll give you freely of the spring of life. And for him who overcomes, you stay the course. Follow the commands, follow the statutes, follow the ordinances, and follow his ways, and stick with Jesus, and build on the foundation that Jesus has given. Then there's eternity. The great blessing is, God will strengthen you, he will provide for you, he will protect you, he will give you purpose, and he will give you power while you are doing that to overcome. Even if you get sick, even if you get hurt, physically, emotionally, or psychologically, you can overcome and stick with him. It is not about getting rich. It is not about getting healthy. It is not about having prettier stuff. It is about building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, which is largely about your declaration. And we're right back to the beginning. They could have been listed in different order. The declaration of God happens first. Now I'm saved. Now I have the power, authority, etc. to make my own declaration and to keep it. Will you? The question is, have you recognized a, a thirst in yourself? I thirst for God. I need something more than what this life has thus far provided me. And if so, then you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and he will give you a drink of the spring of life for free. If you can honestly sit here and say, I do not, I do not nor have I ever recognized a thirst within myself, then I can tell you flat out, based on the scripture, you are not saved. You are not ready to be saved. But if you can say, I have recognized the thirst of myself and I have reached out for God and he has given me a drink, I have been filled up by the Lord. Yes, I have troubles, but I am overcoming. Then you are saved. And you're set up for this life and for the next. But let's not play games, shall we? Don't say to God, yeah, I'll be yours, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. Unlike what you said, in contrast to what God said, I'm going to do what I want to do. No, we do as God would have us to do. And we stand firm. And God is still in the soul-saving business. And so we have to go out there and find those people and say, look, this is right here in front of you. I know it's not complicated. You want a, you want a rich formula with 17 ingredients? But here it's as simple as this. Have you recognized a thirst in yourself? Something that this world does not satisfy? I have. If you have... Jesus says, go to him, and he'll give you a drink of the spring of life, and you will be made eternal. You'll be taken care of. It's that simple. And then just live for him for the rest of your life and overcome, and you'll sail on into the kingdom, regardless of any suffering you may have in, this, in the meantime. So why are we not? Why are we not? Everybody that we talk to, every opportunity that we get, ask that one question. Have you noticed a thirst in yourself? that this world cannot satisfy. If they say no, you could stop right there. Or you could say, well, if you ever do, I can tell you what it is. And they may later that day or the next week or months down the road or years, and you may see them in heaven, they may attribute their salvation to you. Have you ever noticed a thirst in yourself that this world cannot satisfy? Just go to Jesus. Jesus is at the well. John chapter 4, final illustration. The woman is there. She's had a bunch of men married multiple times, but the guy she's with right now is not her husband. She's a Samaritan, so a Jew shouldn't even be talking to her. Jesus sends the disciples on ahead to get food. And they say, well, don't you need food? We'll bring some back here. And he said, I have food of which you know not. 
In other words, I don't need food right now because I, I, I'm being fed. And he said his food is to do the will of his father. And then you know what he did? He stayed there and instead of eating, he told that woman how to be saved. He told her many things, all the things that she had done. And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd have asked of me. And I'd give you a drink and you'd never thirst again. And she said, well, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to draw water? Because she didn't understand what he was talking about. But now, you do. And I do. And I submit to you, we need to go find others who do. Thank you very much. This concludes our services. Go you therefore, and be the church.